0: Greetings my friends and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, Jim Brown. So for those of you guys who tuned in last week, you'll know that we did about three hours on cannabis and we broke the conversation up into two sections. We left that conversation off in and around talking about cultivation and what is all involved in that. And today we're going to pick you up. I'm going to drop you right back into the conversation there. We'll talk a little bit more about cultivation. We're going to jump into the cannabinoid system, the uses of the compounds within cannabis and Jim's going to explain a little bit more about how you can get in touch with him. If you have further questions about disease and what you can use cannabis to treat. So with that said, let me drop you back into the conversation. Enjoy.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So there's a whole other world that in breeding and a whole other level of confusion rabbit hole, which I'm currently going down now because I'm, you know, in the next five years, I'll have another place here in, in Colorado. That'll, that'll be able to have some of these strains and stuff in it so the genetic part of it and keeping track of all that stuff is is an entire universe unto itself
0: yeah the guys that grow i mean in, in pretty much any sort of i guess horticulture environment no matter what it, what no matter what the end product is whether it's you know grapes for wine or in this case you know marijuana plants like these guys are geniuses man they're like little you know, little mad scientists in there doing their thing, coming up with a great uh, product at the end of the day. And you've got to admire that on some level, whether you appreciate the product or not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of, one of the craziest things is, uh, how, um, stupidity got, and I get like when someone's high and they're completely high and you're like, they're not there on, you know, in the room with you. I Like there's that part of stupid that goes away, but how, like how the, uh, The perpetual stupidity, like or chronic stupidity, comes from the plant. How that got leveled to it, or you know, how that got um, attached to it, I have no idea. Because if you sit down with one of these cultivators and understand what they have to deal with, number one, each different cultivar likes a different nutrient regimen, it likes different types of things so you have to know the actual personality just like a horse or you know like we were talking about like you kind of you got to kind of know what certain plants like and what they don't like and what their parents were in order to be able to take care of them um and you also aside from that you're doing this like um for instance the indoor growers they have to they're not um Really growing. They're controlling an entire environment. They're controlling the humidity that's in there. They're controlling the CO2 that's in there, what time those plants get fed, what time the lights go out, what time they come on, how clean it is. They have to battle. You know, if you see like little microscopic mites and predators that burrow into these plants and you got to find the first sign of them in order to beat it or your whole facility will go down. And to produce a cannabis crop, from a clone is going to take you about three months to get the flower on a shelf three to four months. So you figure it's going to take you essentially more than a quarter in business to get a pound to the shelf. And that's if everything goes right.
0: Right. Meanwhile, you still have to pay the bills, keep the lights on and keep your customers happy. Exactly.
1: And uh, the fact that these guys can do that, you know, and operate one of these facilities and direct these people and see all these things on microscopic levels and keep them keep them running and produce um, consistency. You know, if you think about imagine if they were measuring broccoli for calcium every time, like Mm -hmm. every time that guy produces another crop of broccoli, they're going to see how close it was to his lap, you know, how it, does it have the same amount of calcium as your last crop of broccoli? Because essentially with these cannabinoids, they're hitting very similar ratios, you know, each time Mm -hmm. they grow this plant, they're hitting 29 or, you know, 27 to 29% THC or 20 or 21 to 20, you know, whatever the ratios are in the plant, Sure, they're hitting them pretty consistently, which is genius. Like you said.
0: Truly, man. I mean, especially when you look at food crops, right? Like, uh, over the last hundred right. years, like the nutritional value of food crops have dropped something like 75, 80%, you know, just the quality of calories that you're getting from something like you say, broccoli. I don't know how, I don't know what that one is specifically, but I know with apples, for example, it's like 90% of the nutrients that were there a hundred years ago are not anymore. wow,
1: I didn't know that, but I totally believe it.
0: Yeah. It's crazy, man. I mean, so to, to hear these guys are having to hit these numbers, which was interesting when you started talking about the 0.3%, like, you know, to hit this, you know, what does the soil have to look like? You know, what does the environment have to look like? What sort of care has to be taken? That's genius level, you know, care right there in my opinion.
1: Oh yeah. And imagine if you're shooting for that 0.3 mark, And you got 200 acres that comes out at (laughs) 0.45. Exactly. (laughs) Imagine that conversation with your investors.
0: Yeah, that's a hard one. As you sit
1: down and he's got the lab results laying on the (laughs) conference room table. Hey, I need to talk to you for a
0: second. That's when you pay off the guy doing the testing right there.
1: (laughs) Which is a whole other, like the the pay to play. Which you know is going to
0: happen, man. You know it's going to happen, right?
1: Yes. And then everybody has all their tricks that they, you know, to, to test high for THC and low. And right. so, it, yeah, the testing guys have to be their own level of genius just to keep everything mm-hmm. on the up and up. And then, you know, there's obviously uh, room for corruption there too.
0: Of course. Yeah, of course. That's crazy stuff, man. Interesting stuff. I think uh, one of the things I'd like to hear your take on, uh, or maybe you can give us your class. I know you've been given, I know you've given classes in the past. I know you've sat down with law enforcement and educated them, but maybe uh, let's dive down the rabbit hole of just learning a little bit about some of the compounds, maybe the primary compounds that are being uh, um, extracted from the plants or used from the plants so that, you know, the people listening can kind of have an understanding of what you know each one represents and what they might look for if they're in the market to expand and, and and take a look at some of the things on the shelves in this world
1: yeah i'd love to man I, I really appreciate that question um there's a lot of confusion around the individual cannabinoids and as i mentioned before even experts in the field like myself and a lo- and many other experts if they tell you the truth there's a hundred different cannabinoids and we only really know what maybe 13 to 20 of them, 15 to 20, something like that. We only wow. really know what those do. Um, and um, basically, CBD and THC are the two that, I, that I'll focus this aspect of it on because they're so widely known. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this sort of um, sort of verses thing that's happened out there meaning that cbd versus thc thc versus cbd you know once the marketing guys get involved and as they go it's cbd it's not thc dun 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 you know so because once again cbd uh is if you package it right and you don't say certain things on the label and it's derived from hemp and you can prove that it's derived from hemp then it's federally legal. You can send it in the mail. You can receive it in the mail. You can have it in your car. You're not going to get in trouble, et cetera. So um, I think it's really important to focus on the fact that there is, number one, there is no evil cannabinoid. There is there, no more than there is an evil vitamin. And I look at cannabinoids, and the uh, the other important compound in cannabis is terpenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, terpenes exist in multiple other places in nature. I'm Sure, everyone has heard the other term for them, which is which is essential oils. Mm-hmm. Basically, the cannabis. Plant produces over 300 different terpenes. And terpenes are, as we know from the essential oil world and in industry, that the terpenes are highly um, responsible for how humans feel. You know, a, a smell is um, powerful. You could be getting life saving information in a room, and someone could drop a certain smell in that room and you'll exit you know, like the, the, our sense of smell and taste is very powerful. So terpenes are something we have a lot of history with as humans, and they exist in all these other plants like lavender, etc. So those specific terpenes are also produced in the cannabis plant. So there are specific strains that smell like lavender, uh, because they are producing lavender oil. So um, point being Compounds like CBD, THC are more uh, effective when they're used in combination with their friends and neighbors, which are other cannabinoids and terpenes. Mm-hmm. That's not to say just like vitamin C or you know calcium or whatever, to take it individually, there's still a huge benefit. However, when you use them in concert with each other, the benefits uh are compounded so basically it's really well basically it's really a matter of uh determining which compound is the one that's going to help your condition you know and uh, there's this big thing of man and as you know it should be there's this like when someone has a specific serious illness they've been fighting with their whole life uh they're like, man, I hope CBD works because it's easy to get, it's readily available. And you know, wouldn't it be awesome? And it is awesome. There are a lot of people that take CBD isolate, which is an extracted form of just that compound. It looks basically like sugar or salt in its, you know, in its isolated form. And, uh, you can put it in your coffee, you can put it in, um, mct oil and warm it a little bit and it'll dissolve and that's most of the tinct the cbd tinctures by the way are essentially mct oil with cbd dissolved into them and sometimes they add terpenes uh, those are all things you can you can do um, at home without uh, great difficulty if you wanted to um, so, and anyone that wants to follow up on any of this stuff, you know, you feel free to send them to me, man. I'm happy to, yeah, to, for sure. We'll uh, definitely get you any all linked information. up at the
0: show for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so basically, um, CBD is one that is, is a good place to start if it, it doesn't have any effects like, um, for most people, they're not going to experience any kind of psychoactivity whatsoever. They're not good. It's not going to change their, um, mental state unless it's a slight euphoria or relaxation. Mm-hmm. Um, typically if you take too much CBD, you'll get a little bit tired. Uh, like if you ate a bunch of pasta or something mm-hmm. and you'll fall asleep. So that's a really, uh, That's a really safe one. When I say safe, I mean, I'm talking from a psychoactivity perspective. A lot of people have some, uh, misgivings or fear around THC because of the psychoactivity aspect of it. Right. Um, and also... CB, high levels of CBD with a small amount of THC can be very, very beneficial without getting you high. But when you start upping the ratio of THC, that's when the high starts to come in. And that's where people start to you know, try to villainize it a little bit um, because of the psychoactive aspect of it however the psycho the psychoactive aspect of thc is one of the things that gives people with ptsd um, a lot of people that have severe nerve pain and things like that um, find a lot of benefit from t from just thc so or a combination of cbd and thc um, cbd You don't need any type of a medical card or anything like that. You can just obtain it freely um, and there's, you know, without any kind of uh, regulation or oversight that you, any kind of program that you have to go through. When you start getting into above the 0.3% THC that we talked about, that's in any, anything you're dealing with, you're most likely going to either have to be in a state like Colorado, Oregon, California, where they have a recreational program, you're going to have to go to that dispensary to get it. Or you're going to have to, if it's like Arizona, um, you're going to need a medical card. Uh, New Mexico also, you would need a, uh, you'd have to go to your doctor or go to a doctor that uh, qualifies people. And then you would have to get a card in order to get Uh, cannabis from a dispensary so that's where you start getting into a little bit of the psychoactivity there are a couple other um cannabinoids that we're starting to understand more about there's one called cbg which also helps with pain uh sleep regulation it's uh, cbg doesn't get you high either Mm -hmm. and um it's a a milder one like CBD. So there are now a lot of people starting to grow high CBD and high CBG strains. Um, And as I mentioned before, like I don't hate on the Western medical profession, but um, I do sometimes cringe a little bit when someone is going to ask their family practitioner about cannabis uh, because one of the things I think it's important to keep in mind when you're talking to your doctor, um, and I've yet to have a doctor, have said this to many doctors, and I've yet to have a doctor deny it to my face. Um, the doctor's number, and it has to be this way for him, a doctor or her, a doctor's number one priority is to preserve their license above all else. Um, that's what they do. That's what they're taught. Don't do this or you'll lose your license. Don't say that or you'll lose it. Everything becomes or you'll lose your license from the time this, you know, 20 something year old usually person goes to medical school for eight to 12 years. Everything is do it this way or you'll lose your license. If you do it that way, don't say that, you'll lose your life. Be careful, that guy lost his life. So there's this undertone of protect your license. And there are doctors who hate each other so much that they if you left them alone in a room one of them would probably kill the other one but if their patient asks about them oh he's a fine doctor he's great he's a perfect. it's just a very you know and there is something to be said about having a tight brotherhood for you know certain things however this it's this isn't about hating on people it's something i'm just saying that you really should keep this in mind when you're talking to your doctor and when you ask him about cannabis. There's this automatic response to, oh, well, and if they don't know that it's very rare that a doctor will say, I don't know what they usually say is don't do that. I wouldn't do that. Why? Well, uh, it's just needs more study needs more, you know, there's. And so what I would say, if you're going to get advice on cannabis, go to a doctor that works with people that use cannabis and that has a specific understanding around cannabis has done his own research and has, uh, has ed- has extensive education in the endocannabinoid system, because like I said, it's not a requirement for a medical doctor. So you need someone who has the extra motivation and drive mm-hmm. rather than going to a doctor that is not trained in the medical, is not trained in the endocannabinoid system. Right. They just, they're literally just don't know about it. And because it's outside of their world of understanding, they don't, uh, many of them don't think it's real or don't think it's significant. But as I mentioned, it permeates all of our other systems and it's the governor for those systems. That's also, when you start looking at the data, it's, that's also undeniable.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it seems like there's a, a prevailing thought in the mass populace or the capita de Sensei, however you want to refer to them, that the doctor has all the answers when it comes to your health and it just simply isn't true. I mean, and, you know, to kind of piggyback on what you were talking about on what a doctor may or may not study or know, you, you know, you need look no further than the uh, nutrition world. I mean, doctors are not taught nutrition yet. A lot of them will speak on it or not speak on it uh, depending on a customer that or a, a customer or a patient sitting in front of them who may be able to actually quell a particular you know, like arthritis, for example, maybe they need to remove certain types of grains from their diet, which will help clear up the arthritis, but that's not necessarily something that's promoted more. So it's, Hey, look at this option here with this drug here, that drug there. Whereas if they had had a little bit more knowledge around the nutrition side of things, maybe they wouldn't have to have recommended a drug regimen for someone who could potentially avoid that just by changing their diet, for example.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, um, in, in the, uh, class that I give, I, there's an aspect of it, you know, in the beginning where I talk about how, if you were driving your car and you're like out in the middle of the desert and all the lights start flashing in the, in the dashboard, telling you like, they're just flat. Everything is, you know, in the dashboard, uh, this, that going wrong. And all of a sudden your car just stops working and you're on the side of the road. You get a tow to your mechanic. And your mechanic, um, you know, looks at the car, comes back out, sits down with you, and is like, we got to rip that dashboard out. And you're like, uh, well, <laughs> uh, maybe the dashboard is just an indicator that something's wrong, like somewhere else, like maybe in the wiring you know of the car and then the mechanic goes (laughs) wiring good one anyway let's rip this dash out right (laughs) and you know it's a humorous way of of, uh, you know addressing something that could be a very real problem for some people but you know the fact that that i i totally agree with you on the diet aspect of it in fact it's one of the things that um you know, I think Western medicine is really good at traumatic stuff. If you, you know, if your arm gets cut off or if, you know, if you have a like an auto accident with a head injury or those types, like repairing that type of stuff, um, like th- is absolutely miraculous. Some of the things they can do to put the human body back together and and, and that sort of a thing on the treatment side of it and on the the dietary side of it i remember like growing up in the 70s you probably saw the food pyramid remember the whole bait bread oh, yeah, yeah, and the yeah. whole bottom of it was just like all yeah. foundation of bread and then it was just like i don't even remember what the next thing was but it's basically like <laughs> bread and grains and then you know like vegetables are like somewhere up there like oh yeah you know if you want have a couple
0: yeah and oil and fat is at the very top grains are at the very bottom. Exactly.
1: Yeah. The cheese and poultry and protein and all that stuff at the very top. Exactly. Um, And as you know, my mom has uh, diabetes. My mom is not, you know, she's, she's, she likes her food. She's uh, had a life of not taking care of her body and she has diabetes as a result of it. Um, I think that's type
0: two, right? Um, Type two is the, is the easier one, right?
1: It's, uh, whichever one you give
0: yourself, I can't remember. not yeah, the that's, you're born. I think that's type two. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, which, you know, as you said, it's the easier one because I know, like if you go to a doctor, a, a tip I'm uh, not saying every doctor, however, the consensus with doctors is that diabetes, once you have it, it, you have it, it's not curable.
0: Right.
1: And they're like, oh, we can just treat it and kind of, as it goes along, etc. cetera. However... There are people who've absolutely treated their diabetes with diet and, you know, with some simple practices. Um, So we know those things to be true. However, if you go in, they'll say, oh, you know, you need to eat sugar-free things. You know, those, whenever you grab a box, make sure that that box says, and it's like, oh, how about don't grab the box? Like whether it says sugar free or not, like just don't grab the box. Right. Like how about you know, grab, grab the something real broccoli. Right, grab the Brocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that I mean, essentially in that way, there it's and it has to do with their training, you know. Does that doctors I think are um mostly like like every like all of us that are Doing a, what we believe is a service to humanity or providing, you know, going out to do a job. Everybody wants to think that what you're doing is the overall good. And with that being said, doctors uh, essentially are tested on what they can memorize and what they can look up. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of what's your intuition tell you, doctor? I don't see doctors mentoring other doctors on that type of stuff. You know, there are those, um, Dr. Quinn medicine, woman type doctors out there, you know, here and there. Uh, but widely your, your, um, uh, your accolades as a doctor is essentially on, uh, the, what you can memorize and, and what you can, you know, recall. Right. And, or, you know, like, how quickly you can look up the symptoms.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. So coming back to the compound conversation where what I was taking from what you were saying earlier was that basically you've got a couple of different branches. Uh, and what you were talking about with the CBD was, you know, okay, this is going to be a little bit milder. It's not going to give you that hallucinogenic effect, no psychoactivity. Whereas the THC was kind of the opposite of that. It's going to give you a little bit more psychoactivity. And because of that, people tend to be a little bit more fearful of it and shy away from it. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you mentioned terpenes. And you were comparing this to like scents that we would get, like from a lavender plant, I think was specifically what you mentioned, right? Yes. So are we talking about like in the broadest sense of what we're getting from the plants? Are we talking about we're getting scents and then we're getting this thing called CBD-like compounds who can kind of help us with, you know, our anxiety or our pain or what have you. And then we have the THC that's going to help us with more of the the neuropathy, the uh, PTSD and that sort of thing. They're like the broadest categories.
1: Exactly. And there are some overlapping uh, qualities and traits as well. For instance, CBD and THC can both provide pain relief. That's a common uh, characteristic of both of them cbd and t which is why i like cbd as a place to start with someone who's never used cannabis before because you can get an idea of the upside and without having to battle the psychoactivity or do any of that um that part of it so if the cbd doesn't work and you're increasing your doses you know starting to take a significant amount and it's still not effective then thc can be a um better benefit on on the pain relief and inflammation side sometimes so um so it's uh, a good transition also uh like i said you can also you um use a large amount of cbd um they there there are some um Some companies that produce tinctures that have a ratio, like a 20 to one CBD to THC ratio. In a ratio like that, you take a small dropper of that tincture, you're not going to get high, but sometimes the THC will always, the THC and CBD have a synergistic effect. So when you use them together, it can help them bind more. Sometimes CBD alone, some people it won't bind to their CBD receptors. Uh, for one reason or another, and if you introduce THC, it'll help the process.
0: Gotcha. Um, so that then, so is there? Are we at a point in the um, sort of development of this science, if you will, at which we can kind of, I don't know, maybe have someone present? You know, like if we're in a doctor's office, they would say someone presented with symptoms. Right. So someone's going to present with a particular ailment or symptoms or what have you? And is there some place where we can go and say, well, in the past, someone with these particular symptoms have had success using XYZ? Uh,
1: in generally speaking, yes. For instance, um, there are certain strains of cannabis that uh, produce um, certain types of effects. So, it's known that for instance, there's a, there's a famous, uh, cannabis strain called Charlotte's web that the Stanley brothers out here produced for a young lady who passed away this last year, um, named Charlotte figgy. And, um, she was, uh, sorry, man, I get choked up when I think about her.
0: No worries. Man. Um, she
1: was a special, special, she was a special soul. Um, so her dad, military special forces guy, mom was a nurse and, uh, they discovered this ratio that helped her with, uh, she had this, this, uh, really, um, obviously it killed her, uh, this really severe form of epilepsy called Dravet syndrome. And so, uh, she went from having hundreds of seizures a week to two or three seizures a month. And, um, that's when the strange Charlotte's web blew up. So there are some that were starting to find that, but it's literally an untapped universe. And that's one of the reasons I came out here to Colorado. Um, I, I currently, I work for a company that sells, uh, lights to cultivations all over the U S and Canada. And, um, so I'm hunting through strains my, like at my house here because uh, we can grow here legally in, in Colorado. So i got a few plants going here and my five to 10 year plan is to hunt through these strains and figure out um, which ones are good for which illnesses and to eventually have a facility that would have a basically a cheesecake factory like menu where it's got you know you got the tabs on the side and if you have epilepsy start here here's the strains we know that to be effective for this particular condition if you have you know melanoma if you have the carcinoma etc start here and work this way if you have ms etc so that's definitely one of the places that i see a huge um opportunity but again it takes years to hunt through those types of things and then um getting uh the data back from the relief that people get from it so uh there are people starting to do that and starting to catalog that uh however it's it's really untapped mm. you know there's a few strains that are known uh for instance there's a there is a a very decent it's not hundred percent accurate. I'd say probably 85% accurate. Uh, it's called leafly.com L E A F L Y looks like Mm -hmm. um, leafly.com. They have a really good catalog of, um, strains and some basic uh, like historical data on the strain if it's available, and then the effects of the strain. Like this one's really euphoric and good for pain. Some people find it clear-headed. Some people find it, you know, this and that. And um, so, one of the good re- basic resources to find out if you're the strain you're, or to find out strains that may be good for your condition is uh, Leafly. Leaf.
0: So, is, so is there not like a uh maybe I don't want to use the word official because it sounds too official, but like an official group of people who are like actively seeking to build a database with this information yet. Does that not exist?
1: There's a couple of groups who have set out to do it. And for whatever reason uh, they've fallen apart. So there, there are some groups uh, I met a pharmacist at a convention in Oklahoma that was uh, starting to, group cannabinoids and terpenes and he had a he had a um you know basically a where you could point to the top and the side and then connect the two you know that if you have this condition go here he he was starting that database there was another group that had a, a similar thing started for uh just genetics and like sort of like uh like a genome type project Mm -hmm. for cannabis and uh then they found out that they were trying to um basically patent all they were trying to get all the information from the growers so that they could patent all of their strains and Mm -hmm. take it from them so uh the cannabis industry uh came down thunderously hard on those guys and they're gone now
0: i can imagine so yeah that's that's Uh, serious bs
1: yeah, but there's still anybody who's got an analytical mind or who loves to assimilate and dissect data. You've got ten lifetimes worth of work in this industry. <laughs> it sounds we like need more you. Than that. Yeah, for sure.
0: So uh, yeah. So with the the was it you said the pharmacist that started the uh, the little top down chart where you look look here yeah. look there find you know find the remedy in the middle kind of a thing. Was he basing that on the uh? uh, cannabinoids within that particular strain that he was looking at? Is it like a combination? Like I'm, I'm thinking in terms of a particular strain, like you said, okay, might have, there's a hundred plus different types of cannabinoids. And we know very little about any of them, maybe 10, 12, 13. We're starting to wrap our minds around a little bit. But is it yeah. that each strain contains all of them or most of them, and that we need to know what ratios they exist inside that plant or inside that particular dosage, so that we can understand what its ultimate effects are going to be on an individual?
1: Um, no, each strain may have the potential for all of those cannabinoids, like in future generations. Mm-hmm. But in current um, expressions, they will. Um it well and part of the answer to that is we don't know because the testing process for everything other than that, you know, 10 to 20 cannabinoids that I mentioned, if you need to test the other the other 80, hang on a second. Sure. If you need to test the other if you need to test the other 80 plus cannabinoids, um you can't do it consistently because the process that's required to test is um expensive and they they're they exist in such minuscule amounts that you know they're basically like trace elements Mm. and you can barely find them in there so you gotta so the the testing for all 100 plus can be very expensive you can test specifically for thc and cbd cbn cbg there's a few that we can test consistently and inexpensively for where you can basically afford to test every batch of your cannabis. Those we know, um, some strains will produce high THC, a little bit of CBD, a little bit of THCV and nothing else. Um, some strains will produce a balanced ratio across the board. Uh, same with terpenes. Like I mentioned, there's one that, that is, uh, there's actually a cannabis strain called lavender because it you can smell the lavender terpenes on it like like you're smelling lavender and because it's literally the exact same compound the same molecule um the terpenes we can test for all of those they we've been testing for terpenes and flowers and essential oils and those things for a long time and extracting them so we have far more knowledge and data surrounding the terpenes and the terpene profiles than we do around the cannabinoids
0: and the cannabinoid profiles. Mm. Gotcha. So, so at this point, it's unclear, uh, as to the complete contents of a given strain, I'm, I'm guessing based on what you said, yes. the costs, right? So we're testing exactly. for the, the primary constituents in terms of cannabinoids that may exist in a particular strain and then extrapolating. All right. You know, this person had this type of effect, given this particular strain and this particular strain contains x y and z that we're no, that we know for sure but it could potentially contain other things that might be impact, impacting that person in a positive way or a negative way that we just don't know yet we we're not there yet
1: exactly mm. um and if you change the ratio of anything like if you have a like you the test come back test comes back with x amount of cbd thc and you know these five or six different terpenes are in this sample that we tested if you leave everything the same but raise the cbd it'll change the effect of all the other ones so or if you raise the thc but leave everything else the same or raise one of the terpene levels they will change the effect of the rest of the the way the rest of the cannabinoids perform in your body so the potential for combinations is literally like stars or galaxies or you know when you start when you start um, messing with the ratios to each other you know you got these four or five hundred compounds and then they can exist in all these different ratios or one can you know most of them can be absent but there's four of them in certain ratios in this one particular strain they have this undeniable effect
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah so is it am i understanding you earlier when you spoke about uh cannabinoids and the uh receptors in the in your body and how they pretty much exist everywhere um does your body naturally produce cannabinoids as well
1: Yes. So we have two cannabinoids that, well, the, the human body is supposed to produce cannabinoids. And that's where, if it's not producing those cannabinoids, that's what we call an endocannabinoid deficiency. However, like, uh, when, when uh, I've had conversations with people where they go, Oh, you know, I like a natural high. I like to work out. That's where I get my high from. I'm like, great. You like to get high from cannabinoids then, because, uh, it's been proven now that, uh, so when you, Uh, there's actually, I, so there's two cannabinoids that are well known in the human body, two AG and anandamide, anandamide. I misspoke earlier. Anandamide is the one that mothers transfer to their newborns in breast milk. Um, anandamide is also known. So Ananda is the Sanskrit word for joy or bliss. So literally anandamide means the joy molecule or the bliss molecule. Um, 2-AG is responsible, which is also a cannabinoid, is responsible for the runner's high. So when you run, and uh, or even when you think about running, and you sit on the couch and you get that sort of anticipation of, yeah, I'm going to go run, I'm going to get my workout on, that's 2-AG starting to well up in your body. That's the cannabinoid 2-AG starting to get you stoked, about running. So that euphoric feeling is literally coming from a cannabinoid known as 2HE. And then when when it's in its full form is when you're at the end of your run and you're just full on, you know, got that euphoric feeling. And by the way, what happens if you think you're going to get a workout on and you don't get it for a couple of days, like you get a little bit grumpy like a cigarette smoker when that he didn't get, you know, they're like, oh, I didn't get my fix. What you technically didn't get your fix of was that endocannabinoid. Mm.
0: That 2AG. Exactly. Yeah. I must be missing the 2AG, man, because anytime I think about running, I just want to not do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, interestingly enough, that's how I um, i don't run as much as I should. Although I did get some running in the other day and I thought about you uh, like up here at the high altitude. It was fun. Um, but me, like the getting myself to the workout, I'm with you there. And what I can say is cannabis pre-workout for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, honestly, what levels the human body is supposed to produce 2-AG and anandamide at or whatever. But I know I feel that resistance initially as well. And I can tell you, I I take a couple puffs of cannabis and I go like, and then it's like stoked. I'm stoked to go work out. Um, And an interesting thing about that is there's like some high level athletes that use cannabis like on a regular basis and you think about the diaz brothers in uh the ufc right in their off time they run triathlons for fun so they fight in the ufc and then they run triathlons just because and they constantly smoke can i'm talking about inhale the smoke from cannabis so and then when you think of like you know. 80% 80% of the NBA, those guys are that's an unofficial number, by the way. However, <laughs> I've in the cannabis industry, I meet a lot of retired athletes who can now speak about their cannabis usage. Right. And, you know, Isaiah Thomas and um, you know, Cliff Robinson from the Portland Trailblazers. He's now got his own dispensary. But they used to make fun of that dude. They used to call him Swift <laughs> Robinson back in the day. And <laughs> the guy's a hall of i'm pretty sure he's a hall of famer and so anyway they i just want to you know i'm not encouraging anyone to smoke anything uh however i will say that i believe the compounds the beneficial compounds in this you know it's already been proven there's there's um carcinogens in cannabis smoke mm-hmm. uh so why don't people who smoke it get cancer and my belief is because the the therapeutic and medicinal benefits of these compounds in the cannabis plant are so powerful for the human body that they outweigh the carcinogenic they won't allow the carcinogenic effect of the cancer or of the the smoke the carcinogens in the smoke to manifest in the body
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I read somewhere and you might have studied or stumbled across this and dealing with some of the people that you've dealt with uh, on the cancer side of things. But isn't it true that your body is at all times producing some form of cancer cell, and, but at a normal human body is always basically destroying it as it grows?
1: Yes, I've heard that as well. And that essentially um like uh and you pro- you probably know some of this from uh maybe people who do some intermittent fasting and things like that i've got a friend who's big on intermittent fasting and nutrition and he, you know the guy's like incredibly physically fit and his this is coming from his uh research so a little bit of bro science here however my understanding involved uh, of the reason he does the intermittent fasting is because intermittent fasting is designed, uh, essentially his take on it is cancerous cells are, as we've determined already, there are cells that already exist in the human body that become inflamed and go on this rogue sort of thing, become their own being. And they turn into this callous little thing that, that tries to get the other cells that come along with it. Uh, and I have heard from him that basically cancer shells, cells, cells are weak cells from our body that we didn't shed off like sitting around doing office, you know, back when we used to have to survive, we sometimes we wouldn't eat for two or three days when you're trying to hunt a Buffalo or a, whatever it was, woolly mammoth or, or T-Rex, <laughs> whatever it is you're trying to chop down. So you don't eat for a couple of days. And that's where the body would burn off all these excess cells. Now we eat when we're not hungry. We're, so we, these weak and sort of cells that are, that are in this sort of half-life, you know, situation that would normally get shed off of our body are actually getting fed, you know, like while we're sitting around, we don't do anything harsh that, that it's kind of like a defoliation for your skin or whatever the old dead cells get shed off. And, you know, so new fresh ones can grow. Well, if the old dead ones aren't getting shed off, then they can potentially become that cancerous inflamed cell.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, there's been some studies on that and how your body will sort of cannibalize unused or useless or even scar tissue um, in in the absence of perpetual food, perpetual feeding, which is kind of where we are in North America, at least in most of the world. You know, we've created a situation where Basically, we've 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 built the diseases of civilization, things that didn't exist 100 150 years ago, because of the fact that we're overfeeding constantly, and uh, it's interesting. Right. It's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting things that we can do that don't necessarily involve the medical industrial complex to keep ourselves, you know, up to par and healthy. And it, it just comes down to some common sense, some basic common sense. I think people have forgotten perhaps that you know the technical advances. Have far outpaced our ability to evolve and our ability to to sort of think in terms of evolutionary terms. We've been given these incredibly easy lives relative to people who lived even a lifetime ago, uh, mm-hmm. where we largely sedentary. We have hypercaloric uh, intakes. We have hyperpalatable food, and that's going to that's going to wreak havoc. I mean, especially when you look at just you know, weight gain numbers of populations across the world. It's insane what happens when people stop moving and start eating a, a quote unquote Western diet. It's, it's just off the charts. It, I mean, and of course there's a lot of correlation there and a correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation, but by the same token, I mean, it's hard to deny when you have a huge body of evidence in a, a huge population of unhealthy, sick people struggling.
1: Yeah. And when you're starting to see these people that are having these results with intermittent fasting and with, you know, that was one of the things, um, maybe 10 years ago, no, probably like 15 years ago, I was 267 pounds. Uh, I'm six, three. So it's not, you know, like I wasn't like, giant. like for my frame, I wasn't giant, but you wouldn't recognize me now by looking at me then. You know, like I, li- I weigh about 185, 190 now. So, what I, one of the things I realized, and it just, you know, as I mentioned, my mom's not healthy. My family is a bunch of big eaters. Uh, and I just realized I probably need about 25% of the food that I'm eating. Like, I really don't need this. And when I start, like, when I just stopped, Eating all the, you know, like literally, I would just eat half of my plate and push it and go, let me see if I'm hungry in a little bit. Check in two hours. I'm like, wow, I'm still, I'm not actually not hungry. And I didn't even eat what I, you then I started coming to this realization you don't need what you think you need. I mean, that goes probably for everything. Like you said, we've gotten these incredibly soft lives in this Western world and in America. And, you know, like it's so luxurious that, um, you know like we get uh resistant to working out kind of a thing you know like and eating's easier yeah i i think it's it's uh um when you see these people that have the results with the intermittent fasting i got a buddy he'll go three days without eating and but the guy's energy levels are up he's constantly going and um and once he does it it's a tough three days but he swears Like the week after that, the weeks after that, how, what an increase that he has every, in all areas of his life, you know, is, uh, uh, like you said, it's undeniable when you start getting a body of evidence, multiple people doing it. Uh, I feel like people don't even breathe. Like we, as humans, we don't even really know how to breathe anymore. Like people just don't take deep breaths. I think that's a big one too, is, uh, aside from the cannabis conversation is the, oxidation of cells which is basically the definition of your cell releasing oxygen that it needs you know like that it needs to hold on to mm-hmm. in a premature way that kind of damages the cell uh so i think like just the art of breathing and understanding how your breath works that's something i didn't understand until i started doing yoga maybe five years ago
0: oh for sure yeah there's definitely a lot to that i mean i i did uh, the first wim hof training recently and You know, we talk a lot about that, about breathing and, and, you know, the necessity of it. And, you know, but when you look at the population, right, Like, like we're talking about, if you're never challenged, right, if you live in a place where, you know, everything is a touch of a button away or, you know, even if you go to the store, you can lug your shit around in a cart and then you can leave that cart beside your car. You know, you're not even getting the extra steps to put the cart back because most people are so lazy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're never challenged to breathe in that way. And I think that's one of the reasons it's great to get up and move first in the morning because it challenges you to breathe and connect with your surroundings, right? Um, I was always like a late night workout guy for years and years and years. But what I found was when I got up early and I would knock out burpees or I would get a workout in, that deep breathing woke me up it connected me to my surroundings and it let me know you know what your body is meant to work your body is meant to perform and by doing this i'm taking a step back into that place where you know a lifetime ago would have gotten up at 4 30 in the morning and hit the fields and probably had to plow something you know just doesn't happen anymore
1: exactly or you get you like you're woken up out of your sleep by a saber-toothed tiger or
0: something (laughs) exactly
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's a there's a saying that I'm I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, but, uh, it, you know, pops up in my Facebook memories. But it basically says every morning in Africa, um, a gazelle, a baby or some, you know a gazelle wakes up and it knows that it has to outrun the slowest gazelle and the fastest lion or else it's going to get eaten. Right. And and every, that same morning a lion wakes up and knows he has to run faster than the slowest gazelle or else he's going to starve to death. Mm -hmm. So whether you're the lion or the gazelle, when that sun comes up, you better be running.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. I've never heard that, but that's, that's beautifully said. I'm going to look that up and steal it because it is so true. Like in when you're, that's, that's the beauty of things being connected. Right. And humans, I think a lot of times, if you look at how we live, we're very disconnected from the real world. We think that, I mean, Phoenix is a classic example, and you lived here for years, Mm -hmm. right? So Phoenix is a classic example. It's a facade. It's a city built on technology that if at any point the water supply was somehow interrupted or, you know, what have you, something as simple as that, this entire city would go away. You know, the entire city would go away. And people don't realize that their one catastrophe Away from being reconnected to what reality is, which is going to slap you in the head and say, "Listen, are you prepared for this? Are you fit enough to get through your day?" And that's really, you know, what fitness means. It's like, are you? Can your body handle what it was meant to handle? But when you separate yourself from what it was meant to handle, you're never going to be fit enough for that thing. And that's where we are today. I see.
1: So true, man. There's a guy that I follow on Facebook. John Hackleman. Mm -hmm. And he's a martial arts guy. He's uh, Chuck Liddell's old trainer, or he's Chuck Liddell. He still trains Chuck Liddell. He owns a place called the pit in California. And, um, I, I love John Hackleman. He probably gets 10, 15 people max on his live feeds and stuff, but the guy will get on there. He's a registered nurse. Um, and so he's got, great health knowledge. And he obviously is trained up, but he's still, um, he's still a head coach for, uh, multiple UFC fighters, Mm -hmm. but this guy will get on his live feeds and he'll, you know, he'll go, Oh, the riots are going on or, you know, the, you know, coronavirus, or what? And he's like, what it'll often say, what does it mean? Coronavirus? What does it mean? And this guy, man, he basically is like, you know what it means train ready yourself. Prepare your house, make sure. And by house, I mean your house and your body, you know, what do you, here's the, these aspects of fitness. If you're, and his is obviously uh, centered very heavily around martial arts, like, Hey, train so that you can protect your family. Make sure that you're confident in your physical abilities. If things get crazy and literally we're one catastrophe away where someone to eat might think they have to kick your door in. That's right. That's right. Or they might think that they see you and your family on the street and you guys have food and they don't. That's right. They might decide that's their only way to eat, you know, so anyway, I, but i I love that his answer is keep yourself physically, mentally, sharp, and fit, you know, the answer is always that.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how humans tend to think of themselves as being this creature who would never behave in such a fashion, but then you see something as, I'm going to use the word benign because relatively speaking to what we were expecting, COVID-19 was relatively benign. And mm-hmm. the, the response to that, shutting down the world, people fighting over toilet paper, I mean, imagine if it were actually what they thought it was going to be. Imagine how people would have treated one another. Imagine if you literally were absent food for weeks and weeks and weeks and weren't prepared you know, it's it's funny because a lot of these apocalyptic movies I think get it right. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, right. There is yeah, that um the, we love to talk about how civilized we are and all these <laughs> other aspects of it. Um until we're not.
0: Until we're not.
1: And until you see it. Yeah. And then it's like, um, you know, I don't know what taking the high road looks like when everyone's starving.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right.
1: And you know, the, it's, uh, I mean, you know, yeah, I know what it looks like. However, the whole, when the landscape changes, you know, like, uh, uh, in that scenario, like if we were headed to that, what's the one with, um, uh, Denzel Washington.
0: Uh, oh, I know which one you're talking about. I can think uh, is Ezekiel or what's it called? Or the book of something. I can't remember.
1: Yeah. 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 The, the book of the, the, the book of the new blind guy.
0: Yeah, something I can't remember the yeah. name of it,
1: right? <laughs> but yeah, that apocalyptic. There's been scenario, so many. <laughs> I uh, um yeah, I, it's uh, we really have gotten spoiled, and and uh, you don't. It's not like it doesn't exist in our world. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see people in countries that border with a we share a border with. That it, hell, there's people in this country already. You know, in prosperity.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: That so uh yeah if it headed the way that uh the worst situations uh or the worst predictions mm-hmm. um surmised i can't imagine you know what what would be going on or it'd literally be like a like um mad max or something
0: truly y'all you know, the conspiracy theorists and the quote unquote preppers would have been right all along and uh you know would have been, uh, I guess, time to realize that you shouldn't have been making fun of those people.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, um, another interesting thing is that, you know, like um, those people, uh, you know, the, yeah, the preppers and the ones that are questioning things. It's like, well, um, it's in a day where we found out that aliens and UFOs are real. And like people are like, I mean, and I understand I've talked to some people that have some, you know, I know the whack, you know, like some of the really far out theories, like we're living on a flat. Disc that you can walk off the edge and, you know, that that sort of stuff, man. Um, But what (laughs) like number one, even if it is so, what are we going to do? Like, what are you going to do? We know aliens are okay, good. So what are you going to do tomorrow? Go to work or get, you know, (laughs) make a difference, do my workout. Um, and what I've found is it is kind of like, if you found out that somebody shady behind the government is directing them to do what does that mean? It means you got to get yourself physically fit, financially fit, mentally fit, you know, all in all those places, because the only way you're going to be able to deal with a situation where someone is hugely empowered and manipulating the world is to be financially and physically and mentally fit to be able to respond in a way that puts yourself in a better spot, not worse.
0: Oh, 100%, man. 100%. Robert Kiyosaki talks about this a lot in the financial world. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with him. He, he has what he calls the five G's, and I probably won't remember them all, but in those situations where you, you know, you need to be fit or prepared for a situation, whether it's physical or financial, like what you're talking about, you know, he talks about guns, ground, uh, gas grub. And I can't remember the, the fifth G, but basically they're well, all, the, huh?
1: I have never heard that from yeah. Kiyosaki, but I love the guy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's just, it just comes down to readiness being prepared and just understanding that when things you know, if things did hit the fan, like what we're talking about in this situation where, you know, just like COVID kind of revealed and pulled back the curtain on how people will actually behave if they're if they feel threatened. You know, you have to be able to protect yourself and take care of yourself because, you know, the government's not going to be there for you. No one is coming to save you. Therefore, you need to be prepared. So I love the message that um, you were talking about. This was his name, John Hackleton. I hadn't heard of him. I have to go check him out. Sounds like he's putting yeah. out some cool stuff. Yeah. John Hackleman. Hackleman. Yeah. I'm about to check him out. Very cool stuff, man. So what's pretty opinionated dude,
1: but you know, he, uh, along the same lines of what we're talking about.
0: Awesome, man. For sure. Well, what's on, what's next for you, brother? I know that you had mentioned, um, you know, you got, you got out of the dispensary business here in AZ, uh, but you're planning on getting going again in Colorado in the near future, right?
1: Yeah. So, uh, basically my future is one, I'm, I'm working with a, um, a newer technology for cannabis cultivators. So, um, like in every other style of lighting, uh, they had the old, you know, HID bulbs, the high, uh, high intensity discharge. And now they're moving to LEDs, which are more efficient, which don't pollute the environment, which are a lot, uh, more specifically um, the spectrum is specific to cannabis. So I work with a company that that's bringing this technology. So the next few years are gonna be getting this into cultivations and stacking my chips. And as I mentioned, hunting through those different cultivars that I believe can help people uh, based on my experience on the medicinal side, and then setting those plants aside to be mothers for my endeavor down the road, which is definitely to have a vertically integrated um, dispensary and, um, you know, in a, in a related, uh, subject, basically, you know, from the earth and stuff is the, another thing that I've been doing some work with here in Colorado is, uh, mushrooms mm-hmm. and psychedelics is psychedelic mushrooms. So, um, as far as microdosing and things like that, which, it, uh, I can, I, there's another world there that I'm just starting to, um, become familiar with on the clinical side and with um cultivation those sort of things is uh the uh mushrooms but there's a, a lot of benefits including pain relief that um people are experiencing all the way from microdoses to heavy deep sessions with with those so that's something I'm curious about I don't know where it's going to go but um I'm definitely uh finding a lot of new possibilities there
0: For sure, man. Yeah, uh, it's interesting you brought that up. I was, I sat with John Ritzheimer um, this past week, and he was one of the guys who was involved in the standoff with the feds a few years ago. um, Wow. Up in, um, up in Oregon, and then also in Nevada. And, you know, he obviously veteran, he runs a cycle shop right up the street and, you know, works with other veterans. And, a big concern of theirs, of course, is PTSD because of the fact that so many veterans are committing suicide and, you know, falling down that rabbit hole of, of just terrible, terrible existence. And they don't see a way out and they end up killing themselves. And, you know, so we just barely scratched the surface of that conversation. But, uh, from what I understand, you know, um, psychedelics could be a gateway to a lot of these people rectifying and dealing with some of those issues that they've experienced.
1: Yeah I just posted a uh an article or I just posted a
0: You are hey there there you are I lost you yeah you fell off you you're saying uh we were talking about uh PTSD and then you uh dropped off and you said you just posted an article
1: yeah I just posted a uh it, it's a an article slash fundraiser where Tim Ferris just donated a million dollars to a study for psychedelics um they they recently did um a study with over a hundred people that had ptsd for more than uh 17 years and um something like 60 percent of them after somewhere between one and three sessions with mdma and uh a psychotherapy set so they would do the mdma and then do a psychotherapy session uh something like 53 or 56 percent or something more than half after the first session, were no longer clinically diagnosable with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, after a year and a couple more sessions, sixty-seven percent of the study was free from PTSD after having it for more than seventeen years.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, man. I I think. It may have been you. It may have been you that I clicked on that. I, I saw someone had posted that, possibly you, and I ended up listening to the interview with the guy that was wow. uh, raising funds, and it was really interesting. The stats they were putting out in terms of how psychedelics might impact uh, PTSD, and there's definitely got to be something to it. I mean, there's just been too many stories to the contrary to think that you know all psychedelic drugs are negative and that there's going to be ill effects. There's got to be something positive on there as well.
1: Right. Well, there is just like working out on any other level. And it's the same with like if the the high from cannabis. People are like, oh man, I don't like that high. Well, there's an aspect where if you have to wrap your mind around it and like focus and deal with the anxiety that comes with it and go, no, 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 I got to do life right now. I can't have anxiety. I have to, the practice of battling with that anxiety in that heightened state helps me in the day to day with anxiety. It's, it's, a uh, you know, I don't know that there's a term for it or a way to explain it, but in, in the same way, like some people, um, have a quote unquote bad trip, but how do you know that's your body, not just purging like negative thoughts and energies and stuff? Because most of the people I know who have a bad trip, if you talk to them within a couple of days, they're like, Oh, that trip's bad. Well, how do you feel right now though? Like, how do you, if you're not, if you could wipe the trip from your memory and just think about how you feel and the majority of them physically within a couple of days feel relieved.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: So, uh, not always with, with the cannabis side, because that, you know, that, that has the paranoia stuff, but, you know, once again, the Mm -hmm. mental gymnastics of dealing with that are much like putting yourself in difficult physical situations and having to battle out of them. One, it's confidence Two it develops some kind of a you know, muscle memory.
0: Yeah. Well, it all comes down to the mental side at the end of the day. I mean, if you're in a physical altercation, you're feeling pain or experiencing anxiety or, you know, going through something tough, it really comes down to you mastering your mindset in that moment and either continuing or stopping or, you know, removing yourself from that situation. It all comes down to how you think about it at the end of the day, because again, your your brain doesn't know the difference. It's just, sitting there in a black box in the dark, being fed by your senses. And, you know, all it's doing is interpreting to the best of its ability, what you're feeding it. So no matter whether or not the the physical aspect of what you're doing, um, you think has a mental aspect or not, it does, you know, it really does.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of the same chemical, I mean, the chemicals that you produce, when you're excited and happy like if you walk into a surprise birthday party and everybody's like surprise versus someone's like hey your you know car just blew up or whatever or you got to go to court tomorrow to determine if everything's going to get taken from you or whatever that is you know the actual um chemicals that your body is producing are almost identical in both situations it's the thought process that you loop in the, you know, that loop of thoughts that you have going on is what makes the chemical, you know, the chemicals charge your, the thought that you put into them. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. It's the story you wrap it up in, right? Like what's the story you're wrapping this, this experience in. And, uh, I think the more people can be aware of that, the more they can have control of themselves and create some form of mastery in life, which is what the hard water brand is all about in the first place. And it sounds like From what I'm hearing, you know, a lot of the experiences that you're seeing in and around um, like the psychedelic piece. And again, going back to what John had to say about PTSD, it sounds like there is some evidence, at least anecdotal, that you can show people are having positive results from, you know, taking a hard look at themselves, whether it's because of introspection or because of psychedelics.
1: Yeah, and we've, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about ayahuasca as well. You know, like oh yeah, a lot of people DMT. have done, yeah, DMT and ayahuasca sessions. Um, and basically, ayahuasca is a, if you do straight DMT, your body will burn it up in 10 or 15 minutes because you already produced that compound and it's designed to do it. So, but the ayahuasca is basically DMT with this root and these T's added in that keep your body from burning it off in 10 to 15 minutes. And it's more like eight to 10 hours. Mm. So you go on this, you know, extended DMT trip for, for hours. And, but people undeniably come back. I've never done ayahuasca or DMT. Um, however, I know a lot of people who have and I've had extensive conversations with them and they talk about getting these messages and these, you know, these uh, basically, here's that problem you've got in your life Mm
0: -hmm.
1: here it's this but it's not through words or it's like just this like feeling of yeah you know what you need but it's like basically pushing you over what you need to do from a place where you're where you're not denying it anymore right so i think there's still huge uh we have so much to learn Again, from the print, we've forgotten everything, of, you know, back to what you were saying about the technology. And, you know, we're basically cradled in this uh, world of inventions that makes everything easier. Um, and we've really lost, like, the a lot of what plants can teach us and just nature in general. But, you know, I, like, one of the first things when everybody started putting masks on with all this corona stuff that I thought was it's so against what we are as humans. Like we're not made to restrict. We're made to breathe deeply. The deeper you breathe, the better you feel, you know, the like to, to be able to expand your lungs completely. We weren't, we we were born with a filter for air. It's called our lungs and our nose and our mucous membranes and all, you know, all the alveoli that go to, we already have filters. Mm -hmm. We just got to, Make them work right, you know. So, to me, adding this some kind of a piece of paper to your mouth, it just or a cloth or something. It's so again, and humans are we're better when we fight.
0: Yeah, I think the counter argument to that would be, you know, if if we're willing to sacrifice, you know, a number of the lambs of the herd, you know, (laughs) that's okay you know cuz people are going to be impacted and 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 be killed by some of these things and so we're at a place in our it's interesting we're at a place in human development where we can prevent the taking of the weak if you will you know the lion in the lion the human the lion that's coming after the humans may not be able to take the weak anymore because we've built up barriers and medicines and protective sorts of situations where we can allow weaker people to survive and then you know the question you know that that no one really wants to ask is, should we, you know I mean? There's, you know, there's so many different ways that we can be exposed to certain things. Obviously if you're connected to someone tight, you're not going to want to sacrifice that person to coronavirus or a lion, right? It doesn't matter which, it's just a matter right. of, you know, how you're thinking about that in the moment and, and what sacrifice you're willing to pay. Um, but yeah, you, you, you're going to bump up against some resistance there. I think the biggest challenge on the mask thing was like how it's going to traumatize children who basically are unaffected by this thing, you know, which has been kind of crazy to see a lot of school systems are talking about bringing kids back and forcing them to wear masks for the next year. That's, that makes no sense to me whatsoever, especially when the numbers don't bear that out.
1: Right. Well, yeah. And, um, the, it's, uh, you know, your conversation of should we spare the week? Um, the question I asked back is like, at some point, the cost will become too great. You Mm. know, if you continue to do it and what I know from, you know, growing up, uh, in a family of hunters is that the earth, a certain, uh, plot of land, so many acres of forest or whatever can support, there's a balance sheet there Mm -hmm. and it can support so many lives from that one particular group of animals whatever or trees or whatever it is when too many trees drop into one particular area they start getting diseases they start getting rot they start beetles start coming in and you know they 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 take too many nutrients out of the soil for the other trees um and same with squirrels rabbits deer fish etc like it's all in it in For me, with humans, can we make weak people live longer? Yeah, of course we can. Can we make a higher percentage of our population live with all these deformities? But at some point, just like nature has to, we're going to have to pay the piper. And what we have to pay the piper with is those weaker lives that we've been uh, gathering up. You know, from strict, you know, it it's very cold to look at a human life from an inventory perspective. Mm-hmm. But that's what the the universe is cold in yes. some degrees, and nature is cold to those degrees, and nature doesn't care about us like we care about us. That's right. Um, and or maybe it does, and maybe keeping, uh, you know, like like in nature, when the more of the weakness you have around the more that, um, makes the herd vulnerable, Mm -hmm. you know? So is it, is that the case? I don't know, but it certainly seems to be that we've been holding all of these diseases and all of these weaknesses off and all of these things that are, you know, uh, immunodeficiencies and, you know, allowing these people lives, which is a blessing. So to me, if you would have died a hundred years ago and you're still alive now, every extra day, like for all of us is a blessing, you know, and there's, there is no wandering out into life without a risk. There's no putting your feet on the floor from your bed
0: mm-hmm. that
1: doesn't involve risk, you know, from that first step away from your bed, there's risk. So, hundred um, yeah, the, I don't know how long we can continue to, you know, like increase our population and have a certain, per- and I, you know, I work with a lot of these weakened immune systems. A lot of them are in kids with autism and stuff that I work with, you know, cannabis can help people with autism tremendously. So, um, I'm very sensitive to all those, those sort of things. And I'm also aware that the human condition is a hundred percent fatal. Yes. Yes. So we're all gonna die. And it's like, what, you know, how many years do you have a right to live? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean,
0: statistically you and I would both be dead a hundred years ago, 150 years ago by now. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, a long life was 40 years. So, you know, let's just be honest. Like, you know, we've all been granted a, a stay of execution, if you will, by technology. And, you know, I mean, I appreciate what you had to say there. It's something that I think people don't consider because I think everyone has, feels like they, their life has a right to be regardless, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's just, there's just that sort of, we, I think we have all have that innate selfishness within us. And to your point, I think nature doesn't care about a life at all. Nature will sacrifice as many single lives as it takes, I think to produce life as a whole, you know, it cares about the end result. It cares about the whole, but not the individual, which is really interesting when you think about it. Yeah. So it what is. I'm hearing you say is if you ran on that platform, you'd never be elected president. <laughs> <laughs> Jim wants to kill right. us. So I can see the headline. Jim wants to kill everybody who's weak right now.
1: <laughs> Jim and Bill Gates. This just Jim turned. and Bill, yeah. Bill.
0: They're going to vaccinate you and, and kill you so that we can have right. more more marijuana plants growing. Yeah,
1: I mean, that, yeah. we can be healthier, have more weed and less people. That's right. That's my platform for president, more weed, less people. <laughs> that one might get you elected. I'll be honest with you, that,
0: that just might get you
1: elected. <laughs> yeah, man, it definitely fits on a
0: t-shirt. <laughs> awesome. Man. Well, at this point in your life, brother, what does success look like for you?
1: You know, uh, for me it looks like getting better at the stuff I'm doing every day. Uh, I, I feel really blessed to just have made the transition from Arizona. You know, I had, a, uh, some hardships just, uh, business wise, financially, you know, back to the nascent industry. I was working for a couple of startup companies when I left Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I basically it was a huge challenge to establish myself in Colorado. And, uh, so this having, having gotten here, you know, found, um, a place where I can grow legally and be able to do videos on Instagram about it and document and all that sort of stuff is so I'm so stoked about it that I really, what success looks like for me right now is, uh, number one, uh, becoming more disciplined on the day to day like the routine type shit that most people are trying to get away from. That's what I'm trying to establish, you know, because bouncing around as a kid and that sort of thing, I never was able to establish a disciplined routine. And if I did what I knew is don't get used to it because when you get to the next place, everything that you're doing here, that person's going to think stupid everything that that person's do, you know, so it was always having to mold and shift and change. Now it's getting here and putting that day to day routine Mm -hmm. in place being disciplined, like you said, just, um, getting up and challenging myself to work out er- every day. Like we still don't have yoga studios open here in Denver. So, uh, working out at home has always been something that's been a, a challenge for me. I've always made it harder than it needs to be, you know, and if, when I go somewhere that's specifically designed for a workout, I work out. So, um, it's basically, you know, getting myself more into that discipline side and, uh, becoming a better cultivator with, uh, cannabis. Um, I'm really trying to wrap my mind around, um, some of the stuff that I see like with, you know, with our, our fellow humans right now. Um, so, uh, I want, I really want to like, and to love people, you know, and I find some stuff out there that makes it tough, you know, tough more often than I'd like to admit, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, I think really accepting humans and the human condition and what we do and not worrying about why, uh, those kind of things, man, like really sort of settling into my life here in Colorado. And, and, um, uh, like I said, just on the day to day routines, uh, actually raising my discipline level and, uh, that's it, man. That's, that's what it looks like to me. And also, uh, making, uh, uh, putting myself in a financial position, uh, to make that impact with my dispensary. So I'm stacking my chips, um, and, you know, just trying to stay low key, not spend my money on dumb shit until I can get my, my business, uh, rolling. And in the meantime, I want to help these guys get the message out about these lights and to all the cultivators that are using the antiquated technology, get everything shifted over and, uh, use that as my jumping off spot to my, to my, uh, business in the next three to five years. Like I said, as I build my own, um, genetic library and get enough money to get it started.
0: Absolutely, man. All good stuff. And I mean, there's, there's no substitute for the discipline around doing the reps every day. I mean, getting the reps in counts, you know, whether you feel like it or not, you know, you see me a lot, hashtag move anyway. That's what that's all about. It's just getting that shit done because that is what moves the needle. It's the stuff no one wants to do. And, uh, you know, having said that and knowing the direction that you're going, you know, how, how, um, uh, can people listening, get in touch with you and maybe ask more questions and uh, maybe use you as a resource going forward?
1: Um, I would probably say the, the best way is my, uh, Facebook page. Or uh, anyone can email me on my Gmail, which is Jimmy Terpene at Gmail. Uh, So J-I-M-M-Y-T-E-R-P-E-N-E. Either one of those. And then, of course, uh, um, if somebody needs specific information around a severe illness like cancer, Alzheimer's disease, opioid addiction, PTSD, multiple sclerosis, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, et cetera, any, any kind of a, a condition that they believe cannabis might help, uh, please feel free to connect them directly with me. You know, they, mm-hmm. um, Give them my number sure. or whatever I can do. I work with probably two or three people still a week. Uh, I get emails, calls, texts, messages uh, from people who have severe conditions that that, um, that I help kind of get pointed in the right direction.
0: Definitely, man. I'll get that linked up in the show notes. And then of course, anyone that I can connect with you personally, I will of of course do that. Um, My last question, man, is always the same. And that just comes down to what does wellness look like for you? What does wellness mean to you?
1: Man, uh, the, the more I'm around, the more I understand that it's the bottom line is being like genuinely being happy. With what you have going on, and it comes from like an act. Like we said, it's all mental. It's an inside job. Nothing out there can make you um, can make you happy or can make you well. Number one, you have to decide that um, that you deserve it, and number two, um, it really at the end of the day. And I'm not talking about the oh, you know, just be positive. I'm talking about even when shit's going like here, when all the coronavirus stuff hit, you know, I had a company that folded and burned me for about $15,000 while I was in a move transition here to Colorado. And um, what I decided was I can look out my window and look at the Rocky Mountains. You know, I can I can drive 30 minutes and sit next to a river and look at snow capped mountains and smell pine trees. You know, however bad it is, it ain't that bad. You know, it's like, and so, um, to be able to put yourself, to create an environment around yourself that no matter what the sadness, the deaths that happen in life, those types of things to me, wellness is putting yourself in a spot. Like we were talking about red, you know, training and readiness. And, and it's really about having a, Yourself in a foundation that when those things happen, when those types of problems happen, you're not so messed up with the other part of your life that you can't deal with them to keep your life on track or to keep that, you know, you're in a setting where it literally just make you're jumping out of the pot, a boiling pot into the fire versus, you know, things are uncomfortable, but I'm in an environment that I designed and a body that I designed that, you know, I have control over more things then is going wrong so wellness to me is you know how you can direct your thoughts and your happiness and your your position to to be happy you know and again not the mary poppins kind of stuff like that it's to be know that you're living the life that you deserve
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i love that man i love the fact that you pointed out it's a responsibility that we have to create that environment and to create that body because that's really what it comes down to. No one can take that from you if you don't allow them to. So thank you for sharing that, man. I appreciate you being on today. Um, I think we went almost three hours, bro, so I'm going to have to break it up into two parts and we get this thing published. But uh, I appreciate the conversation, man, and, and uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge. I'll definitely get everything linked up in the show notes. And guys and gals, if you're out there in the world listening to this and you have questions about what's going on in the marijuana world, Definitely be happy to connect you to Jim. He's a fabulous resource, as I'm sure you are well aware if you've listened to both of these episodes. Until then, thank you. On behalf of Jim and myself, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Take care. That's gonna do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys, and if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing, and by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike, and if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com, pick me up on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.